0: anyway um, about this issue of the grace message Um, there's a sense in which I don't travel in those circles so I don't really know what that is uh because I hear that I, I know of Steve McPay I've read his stuff I know I have friends that know it I, I don't I know Paul Anderson Walsh who uh, works with Steve a lot lives over in England he's been up with us a few times and um, and, and there's a lot of meeting and understanding between what they're saying and what I' saying what we're saying and I honestly it's hard for me to comment on what somebody else is saying. I can only lay out what the Lord has shown me. You know, and if you are coming from sort of a different yeah, you know, I was telling this, this brother that I was with uh, yesterday, uh, who travels in a different stream, so to speak. I said it's like we're in these—we're we, like in these different streams of God, and sometimes we sort of intersect, and and, and our streams run together, and then and then sometimes they don't. Because he's asking me, do you know so and so? Do you know so and so? And I'm going, no, 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 no. And um, sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. I don't, in a a sense, I'm kind of sheltered. I kind of keep to the folks I know. And the Lord has me, in a sense, with blinders on. I can't tell you how many things come to me to read every single day, how many books are recommended to me every day. Uh, And it just is overwhelming if I try to, uh, you know, assimilate all of that. Um, several years ago, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, back in the 80s, when all of this was first becoming real to me, um, I, I was like a sponge trying to soak up everything I could. Uh, I read every book that came my way uh, that had to do with what we're talking about, and um, and, and, you know, if there's always a new book and somebody's always got, you know, a, a tape or something to listen to. There's always a group. There's always a preacher who's preaching a, preaching a message. And they're all over the place and there's really literally thousands of them. And so I was trying to take all that in and I tried to take all that in as much as I could. Um, at some point, not all that many years ago, been in this decade, um, the Lord said, There's only one thing I'm giving you to talk about, and um, that's where I want you to concentrate. And so I don't talk about second coming. I don't talk about, uh, well, that's part of the second coming stuff. I don't talk about how to have a good marriage specifically, although what I say I think relates to all those things. But the Lord has me just in one issue alone, and I take after uh, the fellow I've mentioned so many times, Norman Grubb. He said he he was a fiddle with one string, and and I've sort of inherited that fiddle and that one string from him. And this is one thing that that I have been given to share. And so some of our terminology is different. I hear from the Grace Brethren. And their terminology is a little different from mine, and mostly, as far as I can tell, the meaning is the same. Uh, Somebody asked me last night or uh, yesterday sometime about, had I heard Steve McVeigh's analogy of tea? Who is it? That, that You, yeah. And which was a lot like my analogy, which is not original with me. Nothing I say is original. Um, and uh, it either originates I read it somewhere or the Lord told me, so I don't have any originality of my own. But, um, you know, it's the same thing. Steve McVeigh's analogy of that when you, when you take a tea bag and stick it in the water and then you take it out and there's tea, where does where's, how can you separate the tea from the water um, it's one thing now you've got tea same thing with coffee the, the, the water goes through the coffee grounds and it comes out coffee we don't call it water plus coffee we just call it coffee mm-hmm. and, um, and you know there's all sorts of other analogies that are like that you say go turn on the light, what we really mean is the lamp or, the, or go turn on the electricity so that it will cause the electricity to flow to make the, the bulbs come on. But we just say turn on the light because it's the light that is the prominent thing. So we're not, so, you know, we just shorten everything. And uh, so that's why... Um, Talk more along the lines of, and, and I guess the basis of, of the the, the truth that, that the Lord has given me to talk about is, the, is is the sense of oneness that we are in the Lord, the sense of oneness that we have, and. I know that's tracking right along with Steve McVeigh because when he has that tea analogy, that's exactly what I'm trying to get across when I talk about our oneness in Christ. When he comes to dwell in us, it's like that with us. Uh, He comes to dwell us completely, body, soul, and spirit. And he comes to live in the, in, the, in, the, in the all of us, in the totality of us. And he's the owner of the house. And he, you know, once we invited him in, you know, I used to hear the, the they used to say teaching I used to get years and years ago that, well, there's all these rooms and you've got to let Jesus in each of the rooms and he's got to clean them out one by one and it's sort of like this gradual, this gradual thing that happens and he's got to slowly, but you've got to do the inviting and you've got to do the letting and you've got to do the yielding and that has its, that has its proper place in time but it, because it's at least it's letting you know who's got the stuff you don't have the stuff. Christ has the stuff, and we want His stuff, right? We want the stuff that He is. We think He has it, and He wants to give us some of it. So we pray, "Make me more loving, or give me love." Well, He's the love, so He's not really giving us love. He's just love, and He's inside us. And when we're loving, it's God loving by means of us. And so, so that you know that first initial sort of. Uh, child stage is that God's up there we're down here and we're trying to get to him and there's nothing wrong with that that's where you start out you have to start as a beginner you can't start out as the head of you know, you got to start. You know, sweeping the floor, and so you just you just have to learn the basics. And the basics are, as I said this morning, and try to really hammer that through, is that we're not sufficient for anything of ourselves. Now, let's talk about this self for a minute, um, because our all our. Even in what I just said, our minds are so trained to think about what we do, to think about doing, and so so even in, even when we say things like "I can't," but God can, it's still doing. It's still something about doing. So we've got to take it to a deeper level to the self that does the doing, because it's the self. The real bottom bottom line of this whole thing is the self which we are. Now, the old, the old deeper life writers used to use the term death to self or dying to self, which is really kind of hard to do because you are a self. So you really can't die to being a self because you are one. You is one. <laughs> and so, you, you know, you can't die to being what you are. But what we die to, and a more proper, a clearer way to say that, is we die to this false consciousness of this self that we've inherited from the false. It, who, who tricked them into taking the fruit that they themselves could be as God? They themselves, in themselves, could take the fruit and then add on to themselves by means of the process of discerning good and evil, they could become wise. Trick. it's the only trick and where, and what where that comes from is that you lose Adam and Eve were sort of babies in unconsciousness so we really can't totally compare ourselves to them because we start off in a different place they started off in this nursery where there was no there were no no, no no odds against anything except that one tree go do be anything call the animals whatever you want to call them be free. There was, there was, you know, but they didn't. They were sort of ourselves in infancy. It's a state that we really can't relate to. Um, what we can relate to is everything after that, because we come in on the, on the, on the back end of that, in which we, you know, we have inherited through Adam and Eve this, this false consciousness that that came from. The devil through trickery, because they weren't—they weren't trying to disobey God, even though they did disobey God. But they thought they were going to add on to themselves, and just like Abraham and Sarah thought, "Oh well, we'll get it like this. We'll have—we'll have a child through uh, your your bondwoman Hagar." So they were in a sense trying to obey God, and just did it the wrong way, and then that. And so that's sort of like, well, anyway, what happens with the fall is that the entire human race became hoodwinked into thinking we're these little islands of sufficient self unto ourselves, and by means of the process of discerning good and evil, we can figure out how to be good and how to avoid evil, and we can become wise as God. Whether or not we recognize the holy, uh, transcendent God or not, still the basis of all human thinking. Uh, across the board, across the whole world, everybody in the whole world, that's the consciousness that we're all born into. And so what happens to us in Christ is, is and, and, it's, and it's also a doing thing. You've got to do this, you got to do that um, in order to be good or be evil. It's all about doing. And so, but, but it takes... The focus of having our focus out here, and having a world focus, and an outer focus, and a, and, a, and a trying to earn our you know earn our living by the sweat of our brow, and to wrench a living out of the earth and out of our environment, instead of out of the source of w- from which all things come, which is God, um, really diverts us from the real problem, which which is this inner consciousness that we've that we been born into, which is I just call simply, and I, again, not originating with me, it's simply called independent self, independent self-mindedness, independent self-focus. We are never independent selves who functioned alone. You know, if you read Martin Luther, um, if you read a lot of the older writers, this is sort of lost in our time, but the Bible, I think, is playing with it. When we're not... In the kingdom of light, we're in the kingdom of darkness. And the darkness kingdom has a king too. And we're run by that king, whether we know it or not. And it's very offensive for people to hear it. They think, well, because you think of the devil as, as uh, you know, a guy with a pitchfork and a red tail and, and a red suit and horns and, and kind of a silly character or this dark, sinister thing with vampires and werewolves and witchcraft and all kinds of things like that. And and, and and you only think in the sense of what we consider evil but the real sinister part of that aspect of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the good part good Satan nice Satan benevolent Satan and we're all that. Because we think by being nice and good and kind and benevolent, somehow we're going to become godlike. And, and the world is out there congratulating each other on their benevolence and their kindness, and, and you know that they, they give each other awards because they you know, they set up a foundation to help people and stuff like that. And I don't, I wouldn't ever criticize anybody for doing good, but at the same time, you have to realize where these things sometimes come from. They, they. They should appear good on the outside, but inside, what's really happening is it's self-for-self. People do, you know, and that really all boils down to that. The kingdom of darkness is self-for-self. And self-for-self is, I'm going to take care of myself and to hell with you. And self-for-others is, I'll go to hell for you. That's what Jesus did. Self or self or others. That's what Jesus did, and that's who we are. When He lives in us, we are become doormats that other people might find like. You know, that's what happens if you if you really get into this thing. You you may you may find yourself in a in a position of, of loss of reputation, uh, loss of property, loss of goods, loss of whatever. Paul said, "I suffered the loss of." All But I did them all that I might win Christ. And what did he win Christ for? So that he could have glory in heaven and crowns in his, you know, jewels in his crown? No. What did Jesus, it says, Jesus endured the cross despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. And what was that? Was that bliss in heaven forever, eternity, uh, beholding the face of God? Well, maybe partly. But we're the joy set before him. He came to get us. He didn't come to earth just to die and raise again to go back to God and say, well that was quite an experience, hallelujah, glad to be back. He came to get us. That's the whole reason that he came. Well guess what, now he sends us to do the same thing he did. But we can't do it in ourselves. And so we have to be this, this idea, this false consciousness, that we run our own lives and we, we determine what we do and that we, we're the ones who make it work or don't make it work by how we act or how we think or how we yield or how we whatever. That has to be disabused. Jesus said that except you forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Now, now, of course, traditionally the church is, has has uh, has taught has seen that as things like riches and houses and land and money. No, it means you. He means yourself. He means this this, this total selfhood, this this false consciousness of self that we protect and defend. See, what happened in the fall was the walls went up, and I became separate from you, and you became separate from me, and we became strangers to one another, and we became fearful of one another, and I be- I put up these walls of self-protection around me, and I'm not letting you in, and I'm not letting, letting myself be out to be exposed to you. I became shame to my nakedness, and it's not just a physical... I don't think it had anything to do with genitals. I think it had totally to do with this, with this sense that the self became this little island, and I've got to protect myself, because the world before the fall was a lovely, beautiful paradise. After the fall, it became... Uh, uh, you know, a place of suffering and sorrow, and earning your, your your daily bread by the sweat of your brow, and worrying about whether you got rain, worrying about this and that, and floods and stuff like that, and worrying about enemies coming and taking over your country or your land or, your, or breaking in your house. And so everything began to, that that had once been glory became a place of fear. It became a house of howling and fear and, and torment. Whether it's what and, and you know, and the only way people knew how to get out of that was somehow accumulate things to themselves, and the more stuff you could get accumulate to yourself, and the more power over others you could get, then that way you could protect yourself and you could and you could elevate yourself above others. And the whole world became that. And that's what that's what we are outside of Christ, whether we're whether we're aggressive people or passive people. Doesn't matter. It doesn't your personality. It matters about your inner heart. And, you know, it talks about in the scriptures about how the the heart of man is wicked and, you know, evil and desperately wicked. And now I was held in bondage by a Christian minister for years who taught that that's who I still was, even though I was saved. And that's why I needed him to tell me what to do and how to I was, but, but the reason I was held in bondage was because of this fear he created in me of saying I had a wicked heart and I couldn't trust myself. Oh, don't trust yourself. Oh, boy, that's a mess of trouble. You got to have people that are that, that are that are wiser and older, they they got to tell you. Well, when you're a little kid, of course you've got to have you've got to have some direction and some guidance, and so that's a good thing. But there comes a time when you grow up. There comes a time when mama and daddy aren't there. And there comes a time when you become independent in life. And, and what you learned in, in as a youth and as a growing up is supposed to become your, your fixed inner truth now. So we're speaking in the natural. So your mommy and daddy made you, every night before you went to bed and before you went to school the next day, They made you brush your teeth or they made made you take a bath or something or other. In the hopes that when you leave the house you'll brush your teeth and take the bath and clean your room. But at the same time, because you're an adult, you don't have to. You know, when I first got my first apartment, I told this story, I guess it was here, you know, we just let the dishes go and stopped up the sink. and not have to go to the sink and wash one out with a wash wrap that's got algae growing on it. And uh, so you learn these things by experience. So when you first experience your freedom as a young adult, uh, you may go test all the limits that you've been given. I certainly did, and I exceeded
1: many of them.
0: Um, But you kind of have to find out for yourself. Oh, yeah, Mom and Dad warned me about this. Apparently they were right. <laughs> and they found out because the they did the same thing too. Maybe not quite like my generation did, but, uh, you know, they had their wildness too. So, you know, that's part of growing up. But in Christ, what we're growing up into is a loss of this false sense of self to come to a right sense of self. Um And and because the right sense of self is is that he and I have become one. Now, as usual, I was going to talk about one thing, but here we are talking about another. And thanks for starting us out anyway, Lou. Maybe we'll get back to that thing. Um, Look what uh, Jesus prayed for in John 17. My Bible just kind of automatically uh, opens to that passage. If this John 17 wasn't in here, I don't know if I could believe all this. But it is in here, and it really, to me, nails it. It nails it all. And, um, here's, a, here's. A pen. you need a pen? Yes.
2: Okay.
0: There you go. Just look at verse 11, and then we'll skip. Look at a couple more. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And then, in verse 20, he has says all other things, but this is all I want to really talk about here. In verse 20. He says, Neither pray I for these alone. Now, he was talking about the 11 that were still left. Judas had left to go out and do his business. And he's talking about the 11 here that he's praying for. And he said, I'm not praying for just these ones, but I'm praying for all of those who will believe on me through those words, through that word. So, guess what? Here we are. We're the objects of this prayer. Because we, we fit this people who have believed because of their word. The, the apostles took what he said and spread it, and then it's come down all these years to us. And we have believed now. We've never seen it. We've never seen it. We have no... There's no living witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yet we believe through their word. And now he says, I, These are the people that I'm praying for. And I'm going to tell you something, or I'm going to ask you to consider this. You might doubt whether your prayers are answered. You know, you might doubt that, well, you know, God hears most of my prayers, but maybe He doesn't answer this. Or You know, you might have some doubt of that. But is there anybody here that doubts that Jesus' prayers were answered? I mean, if you believe He's who He is, and, the, and, and you believe the Scriptures, every one of His prayers are answered, and they're answered on the spot. So I'm saying, if he's praying this, it's come to pass. It is. It is real. What he has prayed for, the Father has given him. And so so he's made it very clear who he's praying for. He's praying this not for just those 11 guys sitting around that last supper table, or in the garden I think they were by this time, but he's praying for us sitting here in this room too, and all the others across the world, and everybody throughout history who has believed because of their words. And he said, and this is the prayer, that they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as, I, as we are. Now, when I first came into Christ, I read about this. And we and one of the one of the most popular songs in those days was a it was old Maranatha song. is We Are One in the Spirit, We Are One in the Lord, and so on. Let's don't go crazy. And uh, uh, that was one of the most popular. We sang it all the time. And my idea of that then was like like being on like like at, at, in high school or college, and you're talking about your football team. You know, we're sort of one, like we're one. We're in, we're all on the same football team, and we're all pulling for each other, and we're a team, and we're one. Because that's the only way I could see it. I didn't really understand about this organic union that that God had done. And when He's talking about we're one, He's not just talking about we're all sitting around in this team and we're, you know, the coach is giving us a pep talk. and says we're going to go out there and win, and go yeah. You know, this isn't that kind of oneness. This is a much deeper oneness. It's where Jesus said, and all through the Gospel of John, "I and my Father are one." That's why they—that's why they crucified him, because he said that. One of the reasons. That's what capped it off, because he, they said, "You can't say that because you're a man and you make yourself God. You can't say you're one with God. That's just—that's just not—that's just not, a blasphemy. And that's what—that—that that was the actual thing that they crucified him for. Said, "Why need we any more witnesses? We've heard it. This is it. He claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be one with God. Away with him! Must take him to Pilate and, and, and demand his, his execution." Well, that's the one. You know, when Jesus said, "I am one with the Father," they got that. They understood that it wasn't just that he was on God's team. They understood what he was saying in the sense that he was saying, because he said it in plain words, if you see me, you see the Father. Can you imagine how it must have really grated on them when he said, I always do what pleases him? (laughs) What? You're just like us. Come on, you sin. You can't say everything you do pleases him. And yet he said it. And he said, "How do you do what you do, Jesus?" And he said, "The Father that dwells in me, He does it." Well, how's that work? I don't know. Just the Father dwells in me; He does it. And that's what I've come to understand. How do I do what I do? I don't know. I really don't know. I just show up. And the Father that dwells in me, He does it. Best, I just show up. Um, and I only show up except He does that. You know, He does it all. And I've come to that place, that, that bottom-out place of saying, Lord, I've got nothing, you know, as, as the old phrase is, you know, what, i got nothing here, you know, and I really have come to that bottom-out place. I came to it some time ago to where I realized i got nothing. I don't have anything to add to the equation. Uh, there has to be a total clearing of the deck, of the old consciousness. You know, the old man died in the cross, but we didn't know it. And so we're all running around trying to fight the old man that we think is still alive, which the scriptures plainly in as plain English or Greek as they can make it, that you died when when he died, you died. That old man died. He died. And how can a dead man be expected to do anything? How can a dead man be expected to work the works of God? He can't be. I wrote an article called We Must Be as Lazarus. In other words, Lazarus, Lazarus got himself dead, and he didn't. He really didn't get himself dead. He couldn't help getting himself dead, and and so he died, calling on Jesus, and Jesus didn't come. And Mary and Martha could, didn't didn't you know couldn't get Jesus there in time, and they were upset. By the time Jesus showed up, he'd been dead four days, and in four days in Israel, in that time, you know, bodies. No, you know, maybe you can revive him after a minute or two or maybe a few hours. But once the body starts to go and puff up, and you know what putrefaction is, and what it does, these gases start bloating up the, the human body. Of course, they didn't embalm in those days or anything. And so they, the only thing they could do is put somebody in a cave or in the ground is the stench was awful. And I used to work in the basement of a hospital computer work, and it was right by the morgue, and I smelled decom, human decom, and there's nothing like it. There's just nothing like it. And uh, so, you know, Jesus is, is saying, you know, uh, what I was saying in my article was that what happens to us is when we go through this process where God takes us down to be like Lazarus, you know, it we're so focused on the fact that Jesus Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and everybody's got this idea that, you know, Jesus did greater works than I did, you shall do. So I can't tell you how many times people have asked me about that. And I wonder, what do they have in mind? Part in the Atlantic Ocean? You know, I mean, you know, Moses parted the Red Sea. Jesus raised people from the dead. He healed blind people. What are you going to do to top that? You know, I don't know. Peace in the Middle East. That's it's something different than, than that. I'm absolutely convinced. because I, I, Jesus kind of made a point when he says which is easier to forgive sins or to heal somebody's sick body. And I think the point of what he was saying is this thing that I'm going through to forgive sins is actually more difficult than healing a human body. Healing a human body is temp- temporary but what I'm going to do is eternal. And But my point about Lazarus is here you are you're dead you've become dead you're in a tomb you're in blackness you're in darkness you're in the, the land of no, knowing, unknowing you don't know anything anymore you can't feel you can't think you can't be you're just you're just gone and God takes us there and then through no instigation of your own Somebody opens the door, and a light shines in, and a voice says, come forth. Lazarus, it says your name. Lazarus, come forth. Fred, come forth. Phyllis, come forth. Ben. come forth. And we're and we're compelled. We can't do anything but get up off that slab because the voice has the power in itself to just raise us up. It's like when the, the prophet Ezekiel uh, felt, you know, when he saw the vision of the Almighty, and he said he felt he felt as one dead, and the Spirit lifted him up. The Spirit entered into him and raised him up to send him out. And so we become as one dead before God. Moses always used to fall in his face before God. He becomes as nothing. I, got, I don't have it, Lord. That's what Moses learned at the burning bush. I don't have the stuff. Moses, I want you to go and deliver my children of Israel from Pharaoh. Well, 40 years before that, he thought he had the stuff. He thought he'd kill an Egyptian, and everybody would know that he was the deliverer, and he found himself running, you know, hightailing it out of there. So he, as you know, just like Abraham and Sarah with Ishmael, Moses Ishmael was killing the Egyptian and thinking, well, I'm the deliverer. I know I'm the deliverer. He had the inkling inside him. He knew what the calling of his life was. And here he is thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this Egyptian and, and start... Releasing my, my my people from bondage. Well, he found out that what God what God had in mind. And so what he does is he runs off in fear of his life through a desert. Ends up meeting Yvonne De Carlo. No, wait, that's Charlton He that, okay. uh, Ends up eating, meeting meeting. Um, his, uh, his wife Zipporah out there in the desert and, uh, and and herding sheep and just doing nothing out there. Well, I'm sure he wasn't doing nothing, but he wasn't delivering the people of Israel. And he, and, but he, so he's out there. Maybe he forgets for a while what he's supposed to do. And the Lord took me through a process like that. Um, I started out in 1970. Three, when a calling came to me as plain as day, it was it, I, I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I can still hear it now in my inner spirit. What the Lord said to me it said, "Preach the word. Be instant." It was out of First Timothy chapter four. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And it just became like a reverberating life within me, and it, and it and it shook me and raised me up. And and I've been filled with this flame ever since and I've tried all kind of ways to make it happen and then through a series of events in the late 80's after one thing I was involved in took a nose dive. another thing I was involved in took a nose dive. another thing I was involved in went south I said I don't like the way this game is played and I'm taking my ball and I'm going home and I didn't say Jesus I reject you because I couldn't do that but I just didn't want to be around Christians. I didn't want to I didn't want to read the Bible. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to read a spiritual book. I started reading novels and watching T V and just wanted to be a I just wanted to be a regular guy. It was like Moses fleeing into the wilderness. And so the Lord took me away. I know He did, because He does it all. I've learned that He has, He has, from, from the moment I was born, He's directed my steps. And I don't say this as some braggart, like I've done this and this has happened to me. I'm saying this as this is common for all of us. He's directed all of us. He's directed all of our steps. It says the steps of a good man, and that's us, because we're good, because of the goodness of He said, though he may stumble, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the hand of the Lord will hold him up. So I've stumbled, I've fallen. You know, I've gone into darkness. So I've been there. And the Lord took me off into this desert for ten years. Ten years I was away. And like Lazarus, just out of the clear blue, I had a tap on my shoulder one day. And it came about through my son. It was really kind of interesting. My my middle child has been the child who has taught me faith, you know, by having, you know, interesting times with the law. (laughs) Phone calls from jail many times, so much so that I was afraid. I jumped every time the phone rang. And there's nothing like a phone call, a collect phone call from jail and it being your son and that happened many times and um, he was a wild man and I, we didn't know what to do we did every, we, we did counseling, we did this, we did that but he was determined to be a, a rebel and, and, and uh, test all the limits and go beyond and beyond and you know, what could we do there was nothing we could do I couldn't beat him, I couldn't tie him up and chain him Um, And so that went on for 14 years with him living like that, or actually a little more than that. Um, But like Lazarus, that was all death to me. It was all darkness because during that time, I couldn't open this book. I couldn't do it. I couldn't read. I couldn't read Christian books. I started read, like I said, I started reading novels. I like to read good novels. At least I'll say that. But, but I just this this just was too much for me. I just wondered, and then I wondered about it because I was a Pentecostal in my earliest days. Um, I, I had the the gift of praying in the Spirit in other tongues, and that stayed with me all that time. And I kept doing that in my private time driving the car or riding around the road or being alone or something like that. And I would wonder about that. I would wonder, what is this? What is this? Because I was, you know, I was one of those guys that stand up and point his finger and preach. And I was mean and I was, you know, nasty. And I was called sin, sin. And I, was... you didn't want to get one of my letters back then. I <laughs> called them friends' letters. And, um, uh, anyway. I know what Lazarus. I know what happened to Lazarus because it happened to me, and I know what happened to Moses because it happened to me. Because Moses was just minding his own business tending sheep that day, and he looked up and saw that bush, bush on fire. You know, well, that's weird. And so he walks up there. I never saw that before. Uh, and so he walks up there, and there's that bush burning, and it's not being consumed. Obviously, it was something unusual. because I mean, He would have been able to identify regular fire, and probably it's a real dry environment. I've never been over there, but I've seen documentaries about that. Up there, I've been out in California and seen those dry hills that it looks like if you breathe on them they'll catch on fire by the end of summer. And I've certainly seen those, and so I've imagined that those that bush was kind of like that, so that when it catches on fire, it's almost instantly burned up like an old Christmas tree because it's so dry. But this didn't do that. This bush didn't do that, so it's unusual. So he walks up there, and that's when he hears the voice of God, and God says. Uh, I'm going to send you there's a couple of things that go on there first he says I'm going to send you to deliver my people from Pharaoh and uh, Moses instead of like 40 years before oh yeah I'm the guy I'm the one yeah, I'm the, I'm the one that you called I'm ready here I go I'm going to do it he goes I can't Deliver the people, who am I? I'm just a shepherd. You're talking, telling me to go see the king of Egypt and tell him. Just tell him. You know, I don't have an army. You know, I don't have world the pressure of the world press to to go with me. You know, I'm just a guy. I'm just one guy with a staff, and I've got to go over here and tell the king of Egypt to let his slaves go that are building his monuments and his cities. You're crazy the Lord says, Well, I fill man's mouth. And, and you know, maybe you stutter and I'll give you your brother Aaron. And you just go show up. I'll do it. And so Moses Moses agreed to it. And then the other interesting thing that happens happened is, What's your name? Who shall I say sent me? He says to God. And God says, I am that I am. I am. That's my name. I am. So... And Moses, now you think about that and you think, well, so Moses is supposed to go say, the God whose name is I am sent me. Well, that's first person. Shouldn't it be he should go, the God whose name is he is sent me. Because I'm not, you know, you can't, because if you're not, that's hard to say if you're not part of the I am, if you're not I am yourself. So that's another thing that goes on. But my point I'm making here is God takes us all through some kind of situation or process where we come to this total death and we realize the death that happened in the cross. We, we experience it and know it in our inner selves. We know that, oh, I am dead. I'm completely and totally what was old is gone. And what was old was a union with a false God who, was to, who tricked me into believing I was just myself alone, and that I could, by my own efforts, accomplish good or do evil, when all along he was pulling my strings. And and that, that false spirit that, that ran me about, the spirit of the power of the air, that is in all children of disobedience it says in Ephesians chapter 2 in the cross that spirit is taken out and that, that's what it means that the old man died the old man is dead he's gone forever but you see we we must come to a conscious understanding of that reality of that fact it's not enough just to learn it in class and say yes that's so and, and take a test in Sunday school and say have you died to sin yes I have You know, God has to... God works these... See, God is truth. And truth is reality. It's not just... These are truths, things that are true that are somehow separate from us. Truth must become our reality. It must become fixed as, as... as our being, it must become our being. It must become our living. And so we don't we don't learn truth. We are truth because He is truth. He, he doesn't talk truth. He is truth. And so when you become of the truth, then what you do is truth. What you live is truth. What you express is truth. Because that is that is who you are. It's like you're working out of a new DNA. You know that that you there are certain parts of your parents. And that's you know, that you can never escape because DNA is is it's written in your physical makeup. You're gonna look somewhat like your parents, there are certain character traits that you're gonna have. And I you know, if, if you're like me and most people that I've run into have this experience, they say, Well, I've become my dad. You know, all the things I didn't like that, about my dad I found out that hey, I've done the new spiritual DNA. And the spiritual DNA is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in us and now their DNA is coursing through our spiritual being and it's manifesting out through this life that we experience, it's, it, you know, it's, it's manifesting in our mortal flesh. There's The reason why this whole flesh thing is confusing is that it's used differently in Scripture. Sometimes flesh is just talking about humanity as if it's just humanity. Sometimes flesh is talking about the old nature. Sometimes flesh is talking about Christians but talking in self-effort or carnality. Um, and sometimes flesh is, as Paul expressed it, so then so that I bear about in my body the life of the Lord Jesus, so that the death of the Lord Jesus, so that life might be manifested through my mortal flesh. And mortal means flesh that which has an end, or flesh which is going to die, so that this body, this or that, I, that I live in, even though it's, it's still part of, it's, it's still corrupt, and it's going, to, it's going to fall into the ground and putrefy and burn up or die or whatever it's going to do. Nevertheless, still God uses it, quickens it, fills it with His glory, and allows this very body that we're living in to become the place where He demonstrates Himself to the world, where His is His glory. Because where He is, His glory is. And where He is, is in us. So His glory is in us. Don't be going looking for that kind of glory, that big cloud that's in you. And you, it's in each one of you. It's, it's in us and we can see it in each other by faith and we can know that it lives in us by, because He is the glory and He lives in us. So that Lazarus, just like Lazarus, just like Moses, just like me, just like Paul, Jacob, you can find places in the Old Testament where a lot of these things, these same things. Well, look at, for instance, like Jacob. the day he's got to meet Esau. And Esau's coming up to meet him with 400 armed men. Well, I don't know about you, but, you know, that's some serious business right there. And the last time that Jacob had seen Esau had been 20 years before that when Esau's, Esau's lying in wait to try to kill him. Because Jacob has stolen, uh, in Esau's mind, he's stolen his blessing. The reason Esau's blessing was stolen was because he wasn't capable of receiving it.
1: He had given away his birthright.
0: And, which is just representative of the first and the last. The first should be last, and the last should be first. Uh, because the first is Adam, and he, he sells his birthright for a mess of pottage. And that's who Esau, I see Esau as, he's Adam. He sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, and he can't, he's no longer capable of receiving the, the birthright. The birthright by rights does, b- belongs to the firstborn. The firstborn in old cultures, in that culture, got the lion's share of everything, and the secondborn and everybody else after that just received some token gifts. But the firstborn got the lot, and so by right Esau should have had his firstborn. But he came in hungry from from being in the field, and uh, Jacob, who was kind of a sissy, uh, had said he was a man, a, 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 a careful man who dwelt in tents. He didn't go out hunting and stuff, and he. Esau did. He was a he was an archer and a hunter and going out in the field and shooting deer and things like that. And Esau's in in the house cooking lentil soup. And Esau or Jacob is and he comes in and says, "I'd like some of that lentil soup." He says, "You can have it if you give me your birthright." And it wasn't precious to him, you know. So for a bowl of soup, he sells his right of the firstborn. And that that right there, and that's what Adam did. You know, but he became—he became—he became he a became wraith. He, he became a shadow of what he had been, and that's what happened with Esau. He became a shadow of what he had been, and, in, and then in the last part of that, when it's time for for Isaac to give him his father's blessing and to pronounce what his life is going to be and what blessings he's going to have. Uh, Jacob comes and by by craft steals the blessing. And we look at Jacob and, and his name means the planter or crafty one or something like that. And we say, well, he, he you know here's old Jacob. He's stolen this birthright from Esau, but or this blessing from Esau. But again, because of who Esau really is and who he represents, he can't receive it. And you know why? And what happens is just just follow this this with me for a moment. Here's Esau one of the blessing, and, and his, Jacob's mother um, Rebecca um, says, okay look I heard your father say he's going to bless Esau and he's going he's got to go out and kill a deer and bring him, make his venison does want to bless him. And he loves the earth. And he and he and he and he created the earth that he might show forth his glory in the earth. And so he loves the smell of the fatness of the earth and the dew. And so Adam is like God the Father. And he's like saying I really want to bless my son Adam because we all love our children, even the ones that are wayward. We want to give them gifts. We want to help them out. Even if they they seemingly do not deserve it. So Adam acting in, in 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 his capacity as a loving father to want to bless his, his firstborn son even though they're only minutes apart in their birth still he's first and so what happens is, is, and you all know the story, you know, Jacob has skins on, cooks his, a certain kind of, he doesn't cook, he gets a goat, cooks that. And somehow Rebecca, who probably thought Esau had to make it, seasons it just right so that Isaac will be fooled and think it's Esau. And so Jacob comes in tremblingly because he's afraid he's going to get caught. And this is all the humanity side of all this. But what's going on is Christ is demonstrating himself here. Because Jacob comes in with the skin of Esau on him. And Isaac has to feel him. He says, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's hands. Is it really my son Esau? Yes, that Jacob lies. Well... And then, of course, we know that Isaac blessed Jacob. And to understand what the blessing is, it's the blessing that that God gave to Abraham that went to Isaac. The seed which should bless all nations. This is the line. That's the blessing that he's receiving here. And because the line doesn't go from Jacob to or from Isaac to Esau, it goes from Isaac to Jacob, who then has the twelve sons, the twelve tribes among whom and we know all the result of that that led to the house and lineage of David which led eventually to the birth of Jesus so here's here's Jacob by craft taking this blessing that by natural right Esau should have but what's really happening is if you can imagine in heaven this scene in heaven and here's Jesus coming before the father only he's coming before the father in my skin and the Father is looking at me, and he's seeing me, and he's seeing, he's seeing, he smells the earth, and he smells the dew, and he smells the land, and he smells the stew, and he's delighted for it. And he reaches out, and he, and he touches my, my, my hands, and he says, well, those are Fred's hands, but the voice is the voice of Jesus. So what it is, is in order to restore Adam, in order to restore Esau, and this is the above the line explanation of this, in order to restore Esau, the father, the fa- Jesus takes humanity onto himself and wears the skin of mankind and he goes before the father as man and says, I in this humanity, and when he says it's Fred, it's also Joe and Lou and Phyllis and everybody here and everybody who names the name of Christ. It's, and that's who the Father is looking at. He sees all these people. and, and then, But instead of rejecting him, he can't help but receive Him because the voice is the voice of Christ. So Jacob has come in the guise of Esau before the father and receives the blessing. And I don't know if you're quite catching it because I'm not sure I'm getting it quite over. But when I first saw this about three years ago, I was riding in the car. I was coming home from one of these trips, and I was riding on I-65 going up to... Louisville and I kept saying over and over again in my mind or actually out loud, the voice is the voice of Esau, or the the hands are Esau's hands but the voice is Jacob's. The hands are Esau's hands but the voice is Jacob's. And I just started to weep as on the freeway as I saw what Christ had done. He wears us as his identity and makes us acceptable to the Father. Praise the Lord. So that's it. And so, that, so, so that's how come we lose this false consciousness of who we are, so that we are totally one with him. That's what he says in John chapter 17. I pray that they be one just like we are. Mm-hmm. And when he says, I and my Father are one, even so can we say the same thing, not because of what we have done, but because he has done and what he prayed and the reality he has declared. And when as I said last night,
1: what he says is, when
0: he says, let there be light, light is. When he says, let there be oneness, oneness is. Don't call God a liar and say, but it can't be. Because I'm this and I'm that and I look at myself and I lack and I lack and I this and I'm that. I'm telling you, he says you're one. It's not me you have to contend with, it's him.
1: Yes, amen. Um, all that he's saying in Hebrews 12, verse 4, hmm it says, uh, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Seek with that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble a vile man. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold in his inheritance rights, as the oldest son, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change in mind, though he sought the blessings. The tears. You have not come to the mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, and the darkness and gloom and storm. The trumpet blast to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken, to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stone. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. We didn't come by that way. That's not our way. He said, but we have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. We have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of gracious men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood, and speaks a better word than the blood.
0: Amen. 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 Well, you know, it, what, the, the operative word in that is, you have come. Have come. King James read, ye are come. Oh. You have come. This is a done deal. This is something that is already. And you recognize what is already. You are there. You see, wait, you know, let me ask you. All of you probably flown on airplanes. And when you fly on airplanes, you know, jets especially, you're above the clouds. And a lot of times you can look. I really enjoy it when you can see the land below. I like to, I love to fly over the Grand canyon and all that. I've flown west a lot of times and a lot of times. Indian. That's always really neat. And but let's say you're approaching. And a lot of times I've flown into San Francisco, which is quite a scary thing, kind of, because you're flying in and the and the runway looks like it's about one inch from the bay. And you're really hoping the pilot is gonna, you know, he's he's not gonna fall short on this landing. But you know, but as you as you're you know you're approaching the city where you're going. San Francisco being a good example of this because San Francisco is almost always at certain times of the year covered with fog. You can't see the city, but it's there. And but you know, and so you're driving or you're flying, you're flying, you're flying. And you know, the pilot comes on. We're making our approach. Everybody, put your seat trays up and put your seat belts on and all that. And so you know, you're getting ready for the landing and. And, and suddenly you find yourself in the clouds. You know you were above the clouds, and suddenly all the clouds are passing by the windows. And then all of a sudden the city breaks through. There it is. It was there all the time. And that's the way this is. It's there now. And if we but had eyes to see, and God can give us eyes to see, but He chooses not to at the moment. So we see it by faith. It's like Elijah's or Elisha's servant Isaac. That you know they were surrounded by the army. And he's going, oh, my pastor, what are we going to do? The army's going to get us. And he says, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he might see. And his eyes were just open to what was already there. And surrounding the city, surrounding the army, surrounding the city, was the army of God, the host of God. And so that he he was given eyes to see what was really there in that moment. Well, we can see that by faith now because it really is a present and living truth. Um, let me go back to this Jacob thing because as usual I got a little sidetracked I wanted to say this thing about this theme I've been talking about about going find getting coming to our water leave, where we find out we don't do it he doesn't and and when when Jacob was coming to that point he was bringing his family his 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 um, his two wives and his two concubines and his and his thirteen kids. He had twelve sons and one daughter. And well actually one of the sons wasn't born yet. Benjamin was yet to be born, I think. Um And uh, they're approaching uh, the brook that they're going to cross over. And he he sends some servants ahead to tell Esau they're on their way. And he sends them gifts, sends them some flocks and herds and things like that. And uh, one by one, Jacob separates everybody from himself. And finally, the next day, he knows he's going to meet Esau. And that's the night that he spends all night in prayer with God. What do you think it was about? You know, Lord, Esau's on his way with 400. Ben, what are we going to do? <laughs> and so, he, and it says he wrestles all night with God, and at daybreak, somehow, you know, he says, "I will not let you go until you bless me." And of course, that's become the great. Uh, pray through verse for so many, and but that's really not what it's about. It's really about coming to this place where we know we don't do it; He does, because because God changes. That's when God changes His name from Jacob, which means supplanter or tricker, to Israel, which means prince with God or He who has prevailed with God. And, he's, and But what happens is really interesting. Because Jacob, you know, we know the story of, of when he's back there uh, with uh, Rebekah's uh, brother Laban and what goes on with there and how he gains his cattle. And so he has these little, he's very shrewd, he's very cunning. And so he's always got a trick up his sleeve so how he can get the upper hand. And so Jacob, you know, finally he's, he's come down to, Esau's on his way. He's got 400 men with him and if nothing else I can run like the Dickens and run away and God touches the hollow of his high thigh so that he limps and he can't even run anymore he's left totally defenseless and the only one who can who can deliver him and protect him is God and God takes us to that place where we can where we there's no help available. There's, there, you know, you're beyond all hell. It's just like we talked about last night, about that, or this morning, about this, the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, whose little girl was, was sick and asked Jesus to come, and before Jesus gets there, she dies. The bleakest, blackest thing that could have happened. And he says, be not afraid, only believe. Well, how can you believe when something that black, that dark, that despairing occurs? But nevertheless, they did, and he, you know, he brought her back to life. And so that's where Jacob learned that it's not by might nor power, but by my spirit, sent. It's not by the deliverance of my trickery and my shrewd understanding, because this is Jacob and his humanity we're talking about. We're not talking typology here, like I was talking about with Jacob and Esau. We're just talking about Jacob as a man, and so he's like, you know, he's always got these things he can do. To, well, I can finagle this, and I can finagle that. I can move this fund over here and this fund over here, you know, and 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 I can I can make this work. Well, eventually God boxed him in to where he had he had nowhere to go. So he had nothing to do but meet Esau. And what happens? Esau falls on his neck and they weep and they're reconciled. And that's another part of that. Then we get back to the (laughs) types, Because here here Christ and man are, are reconciled. Adam, fallen Adam, is reconciled by being lifted up into Christ. And, and so all these things are working at the same time. But that's us, folks. All these things are not written just for good stories or for us to know how to act or how not to act. They're written so that we can know. The stories of especially Genesis and Exodus and, and, and especially this the story of uh, David and Saul, to me, are all about Christ and the new man, every bit of it. It, it just shows Christ and and, and, and uh, Adam and the fallen adam and how Christ restores adam to to becoming who he was always intended to be because adam's not a adam is just changed he doesn't discard it he's changed he's he's changed into that's who we are isn't it we are all in adam and i think we i think we wrongly say um it's either Adam or Christ. I think Adam redeems Christ because it's the second Adam. You know, what does he do? I'm an Adam and yet he comes into me and it's the, it's the second Adam, the last Adam, that raises me up. So I went from first Adam to second Adam. I was first Adam. First shall be last. The last shall be first. The second Adam who is last comes in and is now first in my life and elevates me into the place where he is, where I couldn't cause myself to go. I couldn't attain it. I couldn't couldn't make myself go there but God said friend come up higher I'll bring you up to where I am I lift you up and so I, and he lifts us up into oneness with himself has nothing to do with you know I think the the the, um, the definition of grace that that we're given in the beginning at least I think it's it's right it's perfectly right unmerited faith but I think it's so much more you know, because it, it it ceases to be about whether we deserve it or not. I don't think God thinks about that. You know, I don't think about that with my kids. You know, they, I give them things that they technically don't deserve. You know, and I always have it. I've got things from my folks I technically didn't deserve. And they, that wasn't an issue. Well, you don't deserve this, but I'm giving it to you. You know, then that's kind of holding something over my head. And I don't think for all eternity God's going to hold it over my head that I was a sinner. Well, you know, you were a sinner, but because of my kindness and my, my, my love, I let you in here. But don't you ever forget you were a sinner. You know, you really didn't deserve this. It's so much more. You're, you know, as, as Billy Graham says, justification means just as if I'd never sinned. And that's what we become. We become new creations in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. What was past is no more in our remembrance. He separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's no more an issue between us. Ah, don't pay any attention to that. Yeah, I know you're a sinner. Yeah, sorry, that's, you know, I'm sorry all that happened. That was tough. But welcome in, son. You know, you've left that pig pen and I'm so glad. But he was a sinner. Oh, I'm not going to worry about that. He's back now. So we're not going to hold it over his head. It's all about the love. It's all about the love swallows it up. The love conquers it all. The love is what resurrects us. The love is what brings us up into heavenly places in Christ. The love brings us up into God where he lives and we live out of him. And all we have to do is just begin to recognize that fact. Oh, Lord, this is what you said. Okay, so all I'm going to do about it is I'm just going to say, Well, Lord, since you said it, I'm just going to agree with you. Now, if he doesn't say it to you, you don't say it. Because you don't say it because I say it or some preacher or teacher says it or you read it in a book. You've got to say it because the Lord says it. Because this is talking, I'm not talking about taking my teaching. If I did, I'd be a lot more systematic, and I'd have a board up here, and I'd give you all the scriptural proofs, and, and, I'd, and, I, and, I'd, and I'd have a chart, and I'd have a body, soul, and spirit chart, and I'd show you what he does and all that. And I've done that. I used to carry around a whiteboard in the 80s in a Toyota. And, and you know the dry race markers and, and, and I could chart all this out and tell you what sin is and how not to sin. Uh, that was funny. Uh, and uh, you know, and, and we used to, me and my partner used to say
1: we're out taking names
0: and kicking butts. And uh, that's what we thought our job was. But now I know it's so much more than that. It's just so much more. Thing. And this is the life that we that not only have we yet gotten into, and, you know, let's don't wait to the other side to experience it. Let's begin to realize that it's here now. You know, the glory of God is right here now in the midst of every one of us. It's both within us as corporately, and we are corporately Christ, and we are also individually Christ, walking around on the earth, expressing the love of God, expressing the love of the Father. We seek not our own. We're not about ourselves anymore. When we're little kids, as I have said over and over, it's about me, and that's right. A little kid has to worry about him. A little baby has no choice but to cry, so his mama or daddy will come in and change his diaper or feed him. But when you grow up, it's not about you anymore. Once you grow up, you become a parent. It's about the kids. You know, I can't tell you how many Christmases we've gone without presents so we can, you know, buy stuff for the kids. Care about ourselves. I just like to see the joy that uh, in their in their eyes when they when they uh, you know they see what they get and they open it up because it's such a joy to be able to bless others. And, it, and if we, Jesus says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to you? How much more does He desire to give you the kingdom? it is his pleasure to give you the kingdom it is his desire to give you the kingdom and the kingdom is not us sitting around in regal robes and and and, and th- talking about thinking about how great we are and having people come down and worship us and tell us that we're great and we've got all the stuff the king this king this king dies. Or gives himself that the, that his kingdom, his dominion, his subjects might have life. He gives the totality of himself that that all of you might live. It's like light. You know that everything that we see is a manif- is a manifestation of of a union. And just in simple terms, it's a manifestation it's a union of light and dark matter. If there were no light in here, we wouldn't see anything. And, and I'm just talking on one level of physics. And if, but you turn on the light, everything is manifest. You see everything because the light is turned on. But we don't know, oh, look at the light in the table. Look at the light in Phyllis. Look at the light in the exit time. Look at the light in the wall. We just say, look at the wall. Look at Phyllis. Look at that. Look at that. Because we, the light shows forth everything. It doesn't exist for its own glory. It exists in life to everything else. It exists to manifest to everything else. And that's God is like this life. And He exists not so that we're eternally going, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. How many of us want our kids to be doing that? Sitting around in the living room all the time, every day or every moment going, Dad, you're great. Mom, you're great. Dad, you're great. Mom, you're great. Dad, you're great. Dad, you're great. Mom, you're great. I mean, I'd get tired of that after about 15 minutes. I wanted to go out and do stuff. The blessing, and the way my children can praise me is to go out and live the life of love and, and the life of truth and reality out in the world. That's what praises me. That's what gives me joy is to see that. So my bless my joy is is seeing them enjoy. So that's you know, that's it for the moment. Wow. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. I've got one. Thank wow. you. Anybody have set stuff to say or whatever? Christ sent us our hope of glory. Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I have more hope that he that began a good work in me will finish it, like he said. He will. He is. He has. He has. He has. That's it. We got to come through the call. i got to keep looking. He <laughs> will. <Anyway,
1: laughs>
0: <well, laughs>
1: yeah. Do you, do you
0: have anything
1: about the New Jerusalem in your heart, or? That your... I don't really, you know, I, I don't... Abraham was, was seeking after the city. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I
0: see that very definitely. I mean, I, I quote that all the time. We seek a city which has foundations. Yeah. You know, whose builder and maker is God. We have here no continuing city. And so I know that I live in the world, but I'm not of it. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I meant, I thought that meant sort of a, a, um, a, a disparagement of the world. But now I know I can love the world because the Father loves the world, but I love it rightly. You know, I love it. In, I love it in right use because I don't live of it. I don't take my sustenance from it. Oh, I eat its food and I breathe its air and I live out on the base of its sunlight. But I know where all that comes from. It comes from the life of Christ. It comes from God. And so, so when we learn that, we're you know, it's kind of like an alcoholic. In order to, for an alcoholic to get dry, the first thing that has to, to happen is he's got to be separated from his old friends and the people that, he's, that he drinks with. You know, and most likely, if that doesn't happen, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to overcome. But then hopefully, at some point, drink won't be that strong in him anymore, and he can be around people, you know, having a drink or a beer or whatever, and he doesn't fall. And, and so. The the world is like our alcohol when we first come into Jesus, and we have to turn from it. And we and so the beginning of our life in Jesus is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, because we think that's what holiness is all about—abstaining from a bunch of stuff and then trying to do a bunch of this other stuff. And the, the, you know, and I'm not commenting on those things particularly, but just. We can't help ourselves in our addiction. But then, at at a certain point, when when you realize that Christ has become a a solid rock in you, the world is no longer a dangerous place for you. The world, you know, you you can traverse with the world. You can work with the world. Daniel could be in the seat of the power of Babylon and yet not be affected by it. He, he was a godly man in the seat of a very wicked environment. And so the, the power, you know, one of the most powerful aphrodisiacs in the world is, is worldly power. And, and the higher you get in worldly power, the, the more shady kinds of things. And, you know, it's not all peaches and cream. Um, there are very powerful men who do very... Devious things, and 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 so you know you you can be in, you can be in that level, but you've really got to know who you are to function in that level and not fall into that that aphrodisiac power that, that you can that you can have at that level. And the world is like that to us in the beginning, you know. If we think that's our problem, so we turn away from it, and some of us become like ascetics. Um, I never will forget the day I told my wife I thought I had to become celibate. That didn't last for the day, but but she was, you know, she thought, I don't really think so, you know. But, you know, it's like, you know, I thought, well, in order to be holy, I've got to not do this, i got to not do that, and not do this, and not participate in that. And I thought that in and of itself was the holiness. And, of course, we know all kinds of groups and, and, and uh, churches and things like that. That's what it's all about. As my old pastor said, we didn't smoke, we didn't chew, we didn't go with girls that do. And uh, he said that the, that the women in his church wore their buns so tight their, their eyes sling. And... Uh, so, you know, it was easy not to lust after them because they made themselves look as ugly as they possibly could. And so, you know, that, that so that up. But it's not about that outward thing because, because once you realize that this reality has taken hold of you and it's apprehended you as you apprehended it, you know, he's come back and he says, I've got you now. I've got you now. And you say, okay, I'm safe. I'm safe in you. I'm not safe in myself, but I'm safe in you. And I abide in you. And when I abide in you and I walk in you, what does it say? You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we're safe walking in the Spirit. We're safe walking in the world. Jesus was safe going to the house of Matthew and having a party with the publicans and the sinners. Because He wasn't he wasn't worried about getting their cooties on Him. What He was doing was He was affecting them, not the other way around. And we find that's what happens with us. We become effect. once we get this straight, and we don't we're not Pharisees anymore. And we're looking and, and we all have to go through a period of being Pharisees. It's just part of it. And very few of us escape that. And, at least in some degree. But once we get over that, look you know, looking down our noses at everybody who does the things that we disapprove of, and then and we realize that everybody's the same. And they are no different from me. They just don't haven't come to the same place I've come to, the same, you know, apprehension of truth and, and and all that. And so you can, and then you can begin to bless others with what God has given you. Even if it, you know, even and I'm not talking about going around preaching. I'm just talking about being with folks. They can tell if you're disapproving and you're holding your nose up. You know, you, know, you know, I don't associate with people like you, you know, you tell off-color jokes or whatever bugs you, you know. And so we, we and they know that. You know, the, and it's kind of like in, 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 in the gospel, the times of the gospel. The, the people who were the, the publicans and the sinners and the harlots knew the holy people didn't like them. And and the holy people didn't want to hang around them, and therefore they didn't want to hang around them. Because they didn't get love from them, they got judgment from them. So we we learn we have to learn that too uh, that once we once we come to our the, who we really are which is He we don't judge others anymore we don't look at others and judge them based on what they do we judge righteous judgment and we judge and even, and even if somebody is fallen into some sort of gross sin or problem or, or addiction or whatever we know first of all they're But for the grace of God go I. And 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 secondly, they don't forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They can't help themselves. And we're there to lift them up where they can't. We're there to provide strength where they don't have it for themselves. We have the strength of God. And we're there to give it. So we don't need to be afraid for ourselves anymore. Once we see this. Maybe there's a time when we do need to watch it. You know, because we might get caught up. If if, If you don't have the faith to walk there, don't walk. But if God gives you the faith, don't worry about it. Years and years ago, I went to... And this was back in my real Pentecostal days, and it was just unheard of. This is out in California, and this lady wanted me to... uh, One of the... Uh, women of the church, and we were all real young. Uh, I was probably 24 or something like that. She was about that age. And she, she was a real dynamo for Jesus, and she had a lot of outreach going on, personal outreach to a lot of different people. And um, she had a lot of outreach in the, in the black community. And this is out in Monterey, Peninsula, California. And one of the people that she knew was having a party. And where they were having the party was the roughest bar uh, with the w- worst reputation in town. And this guy was having a birthday. kind of be a companion there for her safety because you know there were shootings there drug deals all kind of things well I'd never been to a place like that I'd been a hippie and I'd certainly seen I'd seen guns I'd seen drugs I'd seen a lot of things but I'd never been in that environment especially being a minority and so uh, but I said okay for men's sake I'd go and so um, I went to the party and, um, and of course I was uh, we were all teetotalers and, and 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 we didn't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. But here I am at this bar with all these people and they're getting revved up. I'm telling you, and they're dancing and gyrating and drinking and as, you know the, as the hours go by, they're getting more and more tanked, more and more revved up. And here, there's like me and Netta, and then I think there was one other white person in there. And there's like you know a hundred black folks tell telling what's going on in the back room, in the parking lots, and so on, and so I go sit in the booth because nobody's really hanging out with me, and uh, Nana had her friend, and I hung out with them a little bit, but anyway, I was keeping an eye on her, but I went and sat in this booth, and this fella comes and sits there, his name was Matt, and he says, uh, what's your name, and you know, you, you know, we got to talk to him, and he says, uh, well, what do you do? Well, I said, I'm a minister. He said, a minister? Well, what are you doing here? This ain't the right place for you. I said, seems to me it's the exact right place for me. And he said, hmm, well, now you know you might have a point there. (laughs) Well, you know, I met Matt a couple of times after that, and I went and picked him up and drove him around one day, and he accepted the Lord in the car. Mm -hmm. So you never know where you go, what you're going to find. Um, You're safe. When God God tells you to go, He goes along inside you, and you're safe. And nothing can happen to you that He doesn't mean to happen. Even if you lose your life, you lose it for His sake. That's glory. We don't seek that, but if it happens, hey, God, thank you. you, I thank you for everything. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. The Bible says, Occupy till I come. Those words I'm telling you. Uh, for a long time I was uh, fighting against the bad politics, fighting for what was good. Now I'm kind of like, well, Jesus
1: says he wins. The Bible in the end says Jesus wins. So I pray, and I just watch him pray and trust the Lord. That's, but I don't want to, but I part of me feels guilty that I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Politically active. Politically active, yeah. There's no law
0: there. You want to be politically active? God moves you to be politically active. Don't be politically active. I'm not politically active. I've not moved to be that way. You know, my kingdom is not of this world, and I don't fight on that level. Um, So I... Republicans and Democrats and Liberals and Conservatives and Muslims and whoever will let me talk to him, I'll talk to him and I don't I'm no respecter of persons and God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't see those human labels. Those are our labels. He looks on the heart. And a lot of people who profess to be doing good may be doing good, but they may be doing it for the wrong motives. And a lot of people who we think aren't doing good may be doing what we don't think is good for good motives. So we just don't know. We don't know hearts. So I just don't work. This is my own thing it's not incumbent upon you. you do what God leads you to do.
1: if you if, if
0: you're moved to and you can't help yourself but to be politically active in, in the world, of course that's a, that's an honorable thing and God but as far as it being a law that you can't be a good Christian unless you do that no that's not true. you do what God tells you to do. Other Christians don't tell you what to do. You know, they may think they all have the right, or They may think that logically so and so is such and such. But Jesus said, you know, the last—I love the last line that we hear from Jesus in the New Testament, or in, in the Book of John, where J- John and Peter are walking along with Jesus, and uh, you know, Peter says. Talk, Jesus tells Peter what's going to happen to him. And he looks at John and he says, Well, what about him, Lord? And John, Jesus says, Well, if I will that he that he tarries till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So there's a, we support and love one another, but we don't mess in each other's business. We follow the Lord. And if other people come up to us and say, well, "I don't think you're following the Lord," well, they have the right to say it, and maybe we should consider it. But bottom line is between him and me. So that's the only thing I can say about that, yes, sir. So, what does that look like in this next week for you? And I don't mean necessarily for you, but for each of us. But how does that? What does that look like for you in that next this next week? I don't really know what you mean by that. Well. How are you, what are you going to be doing in the next week? And I don't mean physically necessarily, but you're talking about the Lord leading you. Yeah. I'm going go home in two days, and I don't know what I'll do when I get there. I'll see my wife, and then we'll, and I'm going on another one of these trips in two weeks, and so I'll probably, I always, I'm, I'm high energy on these trips, as you might be able to tell. And uh, when I get home, I generally collapse, and I kind of zone out for a couple of days. It's kind of like recovery, you know. And because it's sort of, to to, to do these things is really taxing on the body and the soul. Um, and so you kind of feel racked out after you do it. And so that's what, I mean, physically, that's what I'm going to be doing. That That's what I've always done, you know. Uh, unless something happens that, oh, you got to go here and do this. But you know, I, I don't work a job, so I'm kind of free to do as I please. And what I please to do is mostly write stuff that, that I that I print out on the internet. I got a couple of books there. Phyllis got. It. My two books, and I didn't bring any with me. I'm not a real good marketer. Um, I don't have any. Phyllis said, uh, "I want you to bring some brochures and some and some books." And I wrote back and I said, "I used the word I'm not bringing any handouts with me," and she thought I meant I'm not bringing any. I'm not bringing any free stuff, and and I, and I didn't mean that. I just meant I don't have anything to pass out. I just bring me. You know, sometimes I do have a pile of books. But the word of God is itself that goes out from us is the what accomplishes things, and so I, 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 what my life consists of is consists of fellowshipping with others on the basis of what I talk about, and doing a lot of writing and sharing based on, you know sharing based on those writings, and a lot of relationships happen because of the writings, because it's really about. The relationships. It's really about the, the friends. I was talking to to uh, Joanne as we were riding over here this morning. I think I get confused who I say what to. And um, Jesus said, "No more. I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. You've become a friend of God." Well, said, boy, what a what a privilege to be a friend of God. And you know what a friend is? A friend is dearer than an acquaintance, or a friend is dearer than a servant. A friend is dearer than, than somebody who's just sent out to do a job. A friend is a friend. It's a heart bond. So we're bonded. You know, we're, we're spiritually one, but if we were to be side by side together physically, we'd just be really good friends. And so that's what the gospel I have found me in the last thirty years since I began to notice freedom is it's, um it has become you know church and church attendance and all that used to be by compulsion and by law and by rule. You gotta do it, the Bible says you gotta do it. And so and so we're we're knitted together and bonded by and sometimes I'm stuck with a bunch of people that that I'm not really bonded. You know, but now I have all these acquaintances, and I have acquaintances with people all over the world. And some of us get together from time to time. And what we are, are friends. You know, we, I don't belong to an organization. I don't belong to an administration. I don't have a, the Fred Pruitt Ministry Incorporated after my name. You know, I'm just me. And, and the people that I hang out with, some people are involved in churches and groups and ministries, and I'm not knocking them. But it, essentially, it's all about friendship. It's all about the fellowship of the Spirit. It's all about the communion of saints. And the, the, and that's the most precious thing about it. Because Jesus didn't come just to preach sermons and to, so a Bible could get written. He came to gather together his friends. From the east to the west, to the north to the south, and make it and have a big party. So that's what I'm going to be doing, working on that. You know, whatever the next phase of that is, and I don't really know what that looks like. Because you know, it's kind of like Jesus. I don't really think he woke up every morning and said, "I think I'm going to." feed 5,000 today. You know, I think he pretty much acted out of the moment. Now sometimes the Father let him know ahead of time what was going to happen and he certainly knew about Jerusalem and the cross ahead of time. But on a daily basis, did he know? I don't know. Doesn't say he did. I think all of a sudden here's 5,000 people. i got to send them home. They're tired. They're thirsty their needs. I can't send them home. They're going to to faint on the way, He said to the disciples. So how many fishes and bread do we have? Well, we only got five loaves and two fishes, Lord. Add them. That's enough. Start passing them out. Well, Lord, there's nothing. Don't worry about just passing them out. And there's enough. So He saw the sufficiency of God. And I'm, and I, you know, in, in some small way seeing that same sufficiency and in the way he's given me, you know, passing it out. Uh, somebody asked... Uh, Norman Grubb one time said, you know, I hear what you say, and I, I've read your books, but I just don't really think I know this really well enough to share it with anybody else. How, you know, when do you think I'll be able to to give it to somebody else? He says, just give what you have. It's a river. You start giving it, and guess what? It flows. That's what that giving and it shall be given you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over is all about. It's not about you accumulating Maseratis and microwaves and big houses. It's about you, the the river of life flowing through you. And the more you give it out, the bigger it gets. Revelation comes to me. I say things I didn't know when I'm saying them. You know, it happens all the time. I go, I didn't know that. Because that's why I know they come to me. You know, Uh, so... Ever increasing river, it, it becomes, it becomes, you know, the headwaters of the Mississippi up in Minnesota somewhere, wherever they are. It's, you know, it's just a series of springs that that starts flowing, and then you've got rivers there from other places that join it, and ri- more rivers and more rivers. And by the time you, you get down to Memphis, it's nearly a mile
1: wide, and then by the time it gets down
0: to the Delta, the Mississippi Delta, it's just spread out all over the place because it's become so mighty and it's carrying all this stuff with us. And so so I believed at some point, you know, I heard it was Norman again, but I don't worship Norman. Let me tell you this, this, this Christ that Norman taught me has become my Christ. The, the message that I learned from Him has become my message. It's become my reality. And that's what it has to become for each of us. You know, we don't cast out the demons. We don't say, I had demons by Jesus whom Paul preaches like the seven sons of Scylla did you know because they didn't know that Jesus and so the demons said well Paul we know Jesus we know you we don't know and so so it has to become ours it has to become my gospel it has to become my Jesus it has to become my truth it has to become my reality and then when, then when I'm giving it that's why I can speak it with You know, it's it's the reality that we live in and we walk in. Uh, I don't even know what started that, so. <laughs> it, it's just a glorious thing. It's just from glory. Oh, I know. It was the river. So we give what we have. And and, and I believed in the beginning. You know, like that I, I, I quoted Norman, I think, last night. He said that he heard a mission. Young. And the missionary said, Jesus said, if you believe on me, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He said, he said to himself, well, I don't think I can believe for rivers, but i believe you, Lord, for a muddy trickle. You know, well, it was a mighty muddy trickle, and uh, and it affected me. And so I kind of hooked into that, and I said, all right, Lord, all you got to do is believe, that's all? Yes, that's all. Shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. And all you do is just say, Okay, Lord, I believe. I'll take you at your word. And you do it. See, if the the onus is on me to accomplish it, you know, we hear Jesus' You know, we hear the part about becoming fishers of men. We miss the part about I will make you. You know, we think we have to make ourselves fishers of men. We go to evangelism class, witnessing class, and read books and all this stuff to try to make ourselves become fishers of men. When Jesus said, I'll do it, just relax and me and I'll do it. I, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I chose you and ordained you that you should bear much fruit so that's who, he's, that's who he's, he's chosen us for that purpose, that we bear much fruit. So the, the way to hook in is just like getting married. You just say, I do. <laughs> you know? Okay, I'll take it. And God just takes you at your word, just like the state takes you at your word. The minister signs the marriage certificate. Okay, these people are married simply because they say they are. That's all it takes. They say they are by their of commitment, by saying, I do. If God considers them married, and the state considers them married. And it's hard to break that bond once that thing is signed. So, here we are. We're in sort of in the same situation. That's the ease of faith. faith. Faith is not working up some kind of mental belief. It's just saying, okay, Lord, here am I. Send me. You do it. I believe, and I'll, I'll take you at your word. I'll believe you, and rivers of living water will flow out of me. Okay, I'll start with a muddy trail." And we'll see where it goes from there. I told the people in Orlando yesterday at the church I talked where I talked, I said, I've never had any money. And yet the Lord has sent me all over the United States and Canada from the top of the west coast been I've never been to Oregon and Washington and I've never been to that line of states Washington, Montana and, and North and South Dakota but almost every other state I've been to, I've been in Canada I've been in England, I've been down to the South Florida so I've been almost all over this whole country and all of it has just been by saying okay Lord, here my send me and, and He just sends me and, I, and again it's not about me and I'm not trying to lift, lift up me I'm telling you, this is your life you don't have to go do what I do. It's individual in each of us. But the, the reason I get to go travel around, mostly I get to tell people who are, who, are, who are living where they are and they're sort of stationary there that the same life that's working in me that causes me to travel around and share is the same life that's working in you that has the same effect in your community and you don't do anything, you don't put forth any self-effort to make it happen. It may involve effort, but it's godly effort. It's the effort of God working through you. You know, it's the energy of God coursing through you. And so, you just get—you just get what you got. If all you know is so John three sixteen, get that. Start there. You know, if all you can do is quote Galatians two twenty. The shortest sermon I've ever given you, I probably don't think I can do this. But I, 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 we were at a men's conference in California, and he had a main speaker, and I wasn't the main speaker, and he had some other speakers, and he gave all us other speakers seven minutes apiece. There's like six or seven seven-minute people. Well, the first guy I got up to talk about 20 minutes. The second guy gets up and talks about 30 minutes. These are all seven-minute people. And I can see the host getting all nervous, you know. And so it came my time. I thought, well, I'll just obey the rule. And so I I got up and I preached the shortest sermon I've ever preached. And this is what I said. I said, now let me tell you the group that this was. These are Fortune 500 people. These are very accomplished professional men. And believe me, I I don't live in that environment. And um, I don't have uh, I don't have a college degree. Um, where I went to Bible school is not even you know on the map, and uh, so and in fact it doesn't exist anymore. It was it, it existed for a time and now it's gone. And uh, so I don't have any earthly credentials. I just have the life of God. But anyway, I'm here and all these Fortune 500 guys are doing this conference and they're they're all telling their stories and they're good stuff. I'm not disparaging them at all. But I got up and I said, and these very intellectual, very analytical people who want to take apart everything and then analyze it and see how it works so they can make it work. And because that's the way they run their businesses and their whatever they do. And so I stood up and I said, let's suppose... Just for the sake of argument, just for the sake of this discussion, without any further... Questions. I sat down. Now, they still remember that. You know, I still get kidded for that, but I think it zeroed in on a few people. You know, that the truth is the truth, and the truth will hone in where it's meant to hone into. And so I just knew that if I spoke what to me is, it could just be words, but for me it's a living truth. And so I know that a living truth goes out and, and, and it affects people. You know, as, as, as we evolve. Many times, my word shall—you know—that I send forth shall accomplish that which where I do I, where to send it, and it shall not return it to me void. And it's—it's the—it may be this word, it may be the word that comes out of our mouths without having anything to do with quoting scripture or anything like that. It's not limited to this word. Uh, I mean, the, the, the physical words that are in. God's Word is living, alive, and powerful because it lives in us because it's a person. And we don't worship God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. It's not a quaternity. It's a trinity. And so He's the God of the Bible, not the Bible of God. And so we worship the Bible, the God of the Bible and not the Bible of God. And a lot of people got that twisted around. But we, live, we have a living person living inside us who is alive, and that's the word that's sharp and quick and more powerful than a two-edged sword that divides asunder even soul and spirit. And that's powerful because it's it's, it's like Jesus, they said of Jesus: "Whence hath this man this authority?" He doesn't speak like the scribes and Pharisees speak. With on the other hand, and it could, however, it could be or it may not be. He's, what he says. He says he says with authority, as if he believes what he's saying, and it is true. It affected him and moved him. We say we speak the same. All of us do, because we speak our truth. Well, I don't want to run on or nothing. You got one more session tomorrow, right? Yes, sir. In the morning at nine thirty, is that right? Okay. Well, I guess that's it. If you want.
1: Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay, well, we'll just start here.
0: Start here. <laughs> well, thank y'all. I really appreciate all y'all coming out. And I hope in some way this, you know, helps you out or you bless me by being here. Thank you. And uh,
2: yeah. it's kind of like that.